3: To the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway and what is going to be a jam-packed and fun show today, recapping all that was with the NCAA tournament. Kai Spears, the walk-on guard for Alabama. His attorney will be on with us later as we continue to dive into Brandon Miller's uh, everything going on there with the gun going back to the scene and he's continuing to dominate and do great things for Alabama, who looks like the best team currently. We'll talk to Stephen P. New, the attorney for Kai Spears, the accusation, uh, through a source to the New York times, of course, saying that he was in the car with Brandon Miller that brought the gun to a scene in Tuscaloosa that ended up, uh, killing, uh, a young woman, uh, a single mother at 23 years of age details there. Plus Andrew Brandt, former front office guru for the Green Bay Packers. Now he dissects all things business and front office from the media perspective. Andrew joins us in hour number three with plenty of details on Aaron Rodgers and his comparison to Brett Favre. He would know something. He was in the front office for Green Bay whenever that trade went down. Chad, good afternoon.
0: Hutton, what I appreciate about you, what you did right there when you paused before saying the Brandon Miller... You know, you could have used like a dust-up predicament, but you were uh, trying to think of the right word to give the right weight to the situation. This is something that Nate Oates failed to do when discussing it. It's something that Greg Gumbel, quite frankly, failed to do on the selection show where he had a poor choice of words to describe what he's doing. But what you did here, and what we try to do on this show is we're thoughtful. Words matter, (laughs) right? We tried to find the right word to get it. It paused you. And I appreciate that about you—that you, you stopped go. before saying the wrong thing. That both Nate Oates has used, that Greg Gumbel has used, that many people have used in describing this what I would call situation. I guess with Brandon Miller is a safe way to say it. But no you don't want you do that. not want to underplay what's going on here with the gravity of the situation. Obviously, with the murder and the young woman, but also with the disastrous way in which Alabama has handled this whole thing. But on the flip side of that coin the beautiful way in which the basketball has continued to play out for Alabama. They look great even when Brandon awesome. Miller's not scoring, even when he's not shooting a good percentage at all in round 2. They are blowing people out. They have a great route now to the final 4 and the national championship. Alabama's never been to a final 4 as a as
3: a basketball program, never won a national championship. After this first weekend, I think that all changes this season. Dan Dockich will join us coming up in about 20 minutes. Plenty to to discuss with him on his observations, especially with the Big Ten. And Izzo continues to win with Michigan State. Meanwhile, Indiana not there. Uh, Dockage with us coming up in, in a matter of minutes. Chad, this was a weekend that it, it always happens, right? You have the upsets. You have the storylines. And over the weekend, with all of the great... Drama playing out. Friday, whenever we signed off. Saturday, Sunday, no different. I got to thinking about the expansion. There there is a uh, NCAA transformation committee with a recommendation. Um, Commissioner Sankey from the SEC is a member of this transformation committee. And they're recommending that the tournament and all postseason tournaments expand to include 25% of all member institutions for more, incl- more inclusion for postseason play. What that would do for college basketball with the NCAA tournament, All the Madness, it would expand, hypothetically here, but a recommendation from 68 to 90. And while I'm all for the Cinderella story and more teams getting in for that drama, I don't think, based on what Michael Lazarus, the bracketologist at Yahoo, says, I don't think it creates more drama and more situations for what we've seen from Fairleigh Dickinson, or from Princeton, or from Furman this year. UMBC with Virginia, the first 16 to knock off a one, or St. Peter's last year knocking off Kentucky. So the Transformation Committee released a 48-page document a couple of months ago. And a part of this is a description of what the tournament and the bracket would look like. And it took the field of 68, and... We see a snapshot of 22 more teams through Lazarus at at Yahoo. And it's a bunch, a bunch of those 22. 16 of the 22 additional teams of the at-large are from the Power Six programs. We have 10 of the 14 SEC teams represented, including 16 win Florida. You have every one of the Big 12 teams in. The entire conference would get in based on what the committee told us this year on who they put in and who they didn't. Oklahoma finished below 500 they would get a spot in this expanded tournament. And the last team in is Wake Forest in a field of 90. Not some team from a Sun Belt or from Conference USA. It's Wake Forest in a terrible down year for the ACC. But here's what it doesn't really bring for me. Teams ranked in the top 32, Chad, the top 32 seeds, they are going to get a first-round bye. So what this ends up doing, based on what we've seen already through this tournament, and then we'll get to the headlines with every game, we would not see Furman in Virginia. We would not see Fairleigh Dickinson, who shouldn't even have been in the tournament because they could not beat Merrimack. But Merrimack doesn't qualify for the tournament yet, so Fairleigh Dickinson got in, and then they won against Purdue. We would not see uh, other great upsets in, in the past. and over the past three or four years, where a 15 seed continues to win in advance to the Sweet 16, we would see Fairleigh Dickinson against Mississippi State to open the tournament. And that's just not good, I don't think, because you open the tournament with the option of seeing something happen in history made before your, your very eyes, and instead, you're probably going to end up with Power Six versus Power Six and I think that's extremely unfortunate. UMBC would not have played Virginia. Or hypothetically, St. Saint, Saint Peter's doesn't even make it to an option, an opportunity to play Kentucky. They can't get that watered down with this based on what we're starting to see, which is the, the lower seeds are coming up and meeting now this overall play where I don't think the, it's a, as large of a gap as what we've seen in you know decades past for sure of the one through four seed line against anyone below eight or nine. They, they can't get this nuance with it.
0: I, I can understand the math behind it that you've added so many Division One teams. You're now in the 360s or whatever it is. Yeah. So you should add tournament teams at some so point. So 25%, yeah. Yeah, so I, I can understand that part. of you add a bunch of teams, well, you should probably think about adding at some point more NCAA tournament teams. Where I come down on this and where I struggle is making the NCAA tournament should be a big-time accomplishment. I do think that when you're a program that just you're a blue blood or a team accustomed to making it, any program out there under a certain coach that's been successful, fan bases can take for granted making the tournament year in and year out. That happens a lot of the time and it doesn't become as much of an accomplishment for a lot of programs, but I still think it should matter. You know, There are contract escalators and contracts for coaches for making the NCAA tournament. It should be an accomplishment. Being one of 68 teams, that's the goal when you go into the season. It should be something that matters for every program that makes it. But Hunt, to your point, where it really matters is what we saw Friday night. Fairly Dickinson with a chance to do something only for the second time in the history of the sport, and that is be a number 16 seed to knock off a number one. And they accomplished that. They accomplished what UMBC did against Virginia a few years ago. Having those chances, even when the games don't fall the underdog's way, Cinderella's way, right? but having a chance to fight in games like that. Texas A&M Corpus Christi the other day, you know, we joked that, well, they can at least say they forced Alabama to call a second half out on a 7-0 run at some point. That could be their story for the rest of their lives. That is an accomplishment. So seeing that big-time Cinderella have the chance, that's what we'd lose with this expanded field. I don't like that part of it. We're going to get to all the big stories from this weekend. But here's the simple part of it to me when I watch the NCAA tournament. Do not not fix what's not broken. That is this tournament. It delivers every single year. Every time we think, man, we might have a dud of a day. Fairly Dickinson beats Purdue. Or we think, man, it looks like all these teams are playing well and these teams are, and boom. There's another surprise here with a team that's not playing well that beats a team that's on a red-hot streak. This tournament, especially in that first weekend, always, always delivers. This is where we want Cinderella's. Now, what I think...
2: It's the about inc- the money. What
0: the NCAA would tell you, and a reason to get these, what, 16 other Power 5 teams you talked about, or 14 other, whatever 20, the number it there is? There
3: would be 22 more at large, and based on 14 the or bracket, 16. 16 of the 22 would be... Power six.
0: I think adding those teams in gives you a stronger likelihood of a team that barely gets in being the one that makes it the second weekend because where the money lies in the second weekend, we'll probably see this, we'll find out after next weekend. But I do think ratings will go down. Why? No Duke, no Kentucky, no Kansas, no Indiana. We typically want Arizona. We want more of the blue blood programs the second weekend and 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 beyond, you're not going to have that this year. We love Princeton in week one. We love them knocking off Arizona. We love them just blistering Mizzou. But are we going to love Princeton in this Sweet 16? Probably not from a rating standpoint. That's shown time and time again those teams that eyeballs aren't on them. But man, of all the things not to mess with, I think this NCAA tournament format
3: is one right now that I watch this weekend and think, do not mess with it. And I'm thinking we, we have great storylines and drama, and we probably get some of it, but not nearly to this extent. And we don't see the bets that we saw uh, over the weekend, Chad, from, from DraftKings, where we have a guy who placed a $33,000 bet on Fairleigh Dickinson money line to beat Purdue. And he ends up winning $495,000 based on that bet for uh, Dickinson to knock off the... Purdue Boilermakers.
0: That is a fairly ridiculous That's, amount. Yes, it is. Fairly Dickinson. I'm using they, that reference. Uh, Nicole Arbach, who writes for The Athletic, tweeted that Fairly Dickinson for a long time was known as a huge party school and that people that went there uh, called it fairly ridiculous university for their party scene. So that is a fa- not a fairly ridiculous an absurdly ridiculous amount of money to win on a game.
3: Insane, and and to know credit and, to that gentleman though, look, or that lady. And they're playing the odds here, where Purdue has now lost to a thirteen, a fifteen, and a sixteen seed, and they've had good teams, uh, including last year. Jaden Ivy and Zach Eady were were on that team, and you have, uh, of course, this year National Player of the Year to be Zach Eady on that team as well. We'll get into that with Dockage coming up, Chad. They were not the only team uh, to to fall early in this tournament. Kentucky also did. And Calipari says he has empathy for the sentiment that there should be a better nucleus, a better result, and a greater leadership within the program to produce results that win in the tournament. He empathizes with the players, but he also said post game hey, um, K State won, we tell our guys. Don't come here if you don't want to meet these expectations. It's just different. And he says, I would tell it to any coach as well, because only certain coaches can come here and deal with the stress and the finger pointing and the microscope that's on the Kentucky Wildcats program. But Chad, here they are again with more questions. And I'm betting this time they don't bring back a lot of the vets that they did a year ago.
0: So since 2020, Kentucky, in 2020, COVID-19 happened, pandemic starts, no tournament. 2021, they went nine and sixteen, failed to make the tournament. Last year they lose to St. Peter's as a number two seed in round number one. This year they go out in the second round. John Calipari (laughs) has not been to a final four since 2015, seven years ago, won the national title in year three on the job in 2012, since he took over Kentucky, won national championship, has not been to a final four since 2015. Now, plenty of programs would love that and say, hey, that's that's pretty good. Now that's not. You can't go to the Final Four every year. Not Kentucky. Right. Tubby Smith got ran off for less. Tubby Smith won a national title in year one. And I feel like he got ran off for less. Now, the albatross around Kentucky is the fact that even if they part ways next year with John Calipari, they owe him over $33 million in buyout money. He's got a quote-unquote lifetime contract that takes him until he's 70 years old in 2029 to finish out his career at Kentucky. But I don't think Kentucky, even with that amount of money, is going to wait around if this trend continues. Here is what I see with Kentucky basketball right now and their program. It's not a program. It's an AAU traveling conglomerate. And even when they try to have some consistency and they bring back good players and they bring back the National Player of the Year and Oscar Shibwe, they go out in the second round and they have a widely disappointing season. They had their highs this year. They had a couple wins over Tennessee. They had a big road win at Arkansas, who's now maybe about to go to the Hello Eric Musselman, by the way, Mm -hmm. who Kentucky fans want in Lexington right now. But it was a disappointing year for Kentucky. And what I see with John Calipari is less program and more AAU system. And what I hear from Kentucky fans when I put out the question, what's your temperature on John Calipari now? And the response is, let's give him next year with this super class that's coming in. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, have we heard this song and dance before. Let's let the freshmen save us. Here comes all these five-star guys. They're going to come in, and, hey, if he doesn't go to the Final Four next year, then he should be fired. Well, when they have a great year next year and they get put out in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, I don't think Kentucky fans will still be singing that same tune Because they're still going to have that siren song that they're going to be lured into of, here comes the next five McDonald's All-Americans. And we cycle them out and guys transfer out. We'll bring in the occasional veteran transfer also. Rinse and repeat and see if you can make it work. I don't see a program culture with Calipari other than
3: it being transient. And that's not a good spot to be in. But the portal has... it's. It's shaped Kentucky's roster way different than what we're used to, right? The, the one and dones are now one and done and on their way to the other team to the highest bidder and with name, image, likeness, and and everything that can be taken care of in the transfer portal. Chad how- – it's, And it's not just one and done. Let me, let me say this
0: too. And I'm quoting Dan Dockett here from right. Don't At Me because I was on with him this morning. Dan's son coaches at Illinois State. Dan claims that Antonio Reeves – got $500,000 in NIL money to transfer to Kentucky. That is what Kentucky and the major programs can do. Not just the one-and-done, but the one-and-done on the reverse end, or the two-and-done. Go get the stud mid-major player that can come in and immediately make an impact as a veteran guy. John Calipari is going to do that. I think he's going to mix and match with both of them. But When I look at certain programs and they have an identity, Marquette, even though they got bounced in the second round, I watch them and I think, that is Shaka Smart's group. Regardless of where they come from or how they were put together in year two, I know exactly what Marquette is because I know exactly what Shaka Smart wants it to be. So I don't get the sense that I know what Calipari wants. I don't know that he knows exactly what he wants. And for that reason, Kentucky's just this annual all-star team and not really a
3: program. But... We, we've seen different ways to go about last year to this year. North Carolina is in the same boat too with Kentucky, where they brought back guys that, you know, automatically you're seeing what, of course, what Carolina did in the tournament last year. And you have Oscar Shebway at Kentucky who's coming back on that NIL money. And you're like, um, he's coming back. You're going to build around him. They're going to be fine coming off the loss of St. Peters. Meanwhile, Duke is a young roster. Right, And you've got a, a young head coach there now. Coach K's not there. And they're on the upward trajectory, regardless of how things went for them in the, the Battle Royale in Tennessee. Uh, I view their roster way different than I do Kentucky and North Carolina currently because it's, I think it changed the mentality of recruitment for both of those coaches at the Blue Bloods. And I think, I, I think we'll see Calipari go back to the high school era Where he's putting Anthony Davis in, and they're winning a title, and he's off to the league, Uh, and there are other examples, is uh, for sure. But Coach Cal is great at that, and recently, he's been, Chad. I think he's been closer to building a program because guys are coming back to play for him more than one season or one semester.
0: So no, no Final Four since 2015. No, no turning. Losing season in 2021, yeah, and give him, I guess, the COVID break coming into that that weird season. First round exit as a two seed last year. Second round exit as a six seed this year.
2: If they go to the
0: final four next year, he's going to be just fine. I I understand all of that. But let's say it's another second round exit next year and they're a five or six seed. Are you just going to sit around and say, well, all these guys are going to the pro. Let's get the next batch. Next four or five guys to come in, we're going to go back to that route. Is that really what you want, Kentucky fans? Is that really the road you want to try to go back down? It worked early for John Calipari. It has not worked in a while for that program. And I'll ask this question Hubert Davis went to the national championship game in year one at North Carolina. They were the number one team in the AP to open the season and did not make the tournament. If they are not, I'll, I'll just say it. This is my declaration. If they're not a top-four seed in the NCAA tournament next year, he will be fired at North Carolina. That is how that. blue bloods treat their coaches.
3: And in seven of the fired. eight years you're referencing with Kentucky, during the season in the AP poll, they have been top five at some point. And the year they missed I'll, the tournament, they ranked 10th. That's the, high, the highest I, even,
0: even a program that's not a blue blood, but a guy who had tons of early success, Jawan Howard, who just got yeah. bounced in the second round of the, of the, uh, the NIT. If he doesn't make the tournament and, and do something next year, or they're not a top, let's say, eight seed in the tournament, he's in trouble. And that's not a blue blood program. I think John Calipari, at least with Kentucky fans, I understand defending your guy. I don't think he's being judged or treated the same way as some other blue blood programs would view their coach on a similar downward trajectory.
3: And that's where Kentucky is right now. They are on a downward trajectory. Dan Dokic is about to join us. Purdue... They fell out, Indiana, out. We'll take a look at the Big Ten and keep this in mind too. Eleven conferences are represented in the Sweet 16. Dan Dockett reacts to that next on OutKick 360.
2: Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well.
3: Rick Pitino is headed to St. John's as their new head coach. No surprise. We'll get into that with Dan Dockich in just a moment. Dan Dockich joins us on OutKick 360 here across the OutKick Network, recapping and uh, breaking down the bracket from a fun weekend. Dan, always great, man, to see you. Thanks for the time. And 11 conferences are represented in the Sweet 16. How would you describe what we witnessed on Saturday and Sunday?
1: Uh, an, an absolute blast. I, I, maybe not for Purdue fans, you know. <laughs> maybe not for UVA, Arizona fans, but yeah, I guess not Indiana fans. But you know what? At the end of the day, what a blast! I mean, you know, you saw blue bloods going down left and right. You saw, you know, Kentucky one beats a sixteen again. That's Purdue. I, I thought the entire weekend uh, was tremendous. And to your point about eleven conferences, I, I don't really pay attention to that. But I got to believe that that's some kind of record, right? I mean, Big Ten, no good. Izzo does what Izzo does. I think the Pac-12 are yeah, except for UCLA. But, man, I, I just thought it was an absolute blast. and I miss it already, and it's only Monday afternoon.
0: What happened to Indiana in this game, Dan? I, I asked because I, I had the Hoosiers in the Final Four, and no one cares about my bracket. Um, but I, I think, once again, what I've done here – Is maybe I undervalued Miami, who's a team that went on a run last year also uh, with Isaiah Wong. I think beat Auburn in the second round a year ago in an upset matchup. What is it about this Miami team in the tournament and what happened to
1: Indiana? Well, I think what happened in Indiana is, you know, a lot of people call the Big Ten the Thick Ankle League. And Indiana had a bunch of thick ankles against dudes that were going. uh, Isaiah Wong was ridiculous. And you know what was also interesting? Uh, They made Indiana quit. Uh, They physically beat them up. They went on the glass. Uh, Indiana is a weird team. Like, you know, and I know I'm being old man guy here, but Indiana used to stand for something like toughness. And now Indiana – You know, you got guys, Miller Cop. he's more worried about his headband and his Twitter and his TikTok videos, and he's trying to build a brand and his teammate, You know what? Uh, It's kind of exhausting. It wasn't really a surprise. I thought Indiana played really poorly uh, in the first half in particular against Kent. Kent just missed a bunch of shots, and I told some guys, I go, look, if you're really going to bet this game with your head and not your heart, you're going to have to bet on Miami. I don't care what the point spread is because Miami's not going to miss those shots. Uh, Indiana got exposed. They quit. Uh, they have no heart, and frankly, going into the game, I, I, I got so many texts from former Indiana players, that and this may seem weird to people, and I, I get that it does, but this is our, our our program, Indiana. You know, what in the F is this guy doing, Miller Cobb, worrying about a headband? Didn't wear one all year, and now all of a sudden, you know, Indiana's supposed to be about us, not me, and uh, frankly, Miami has athletes, have guys that can score, have a big guy that's tougher than heck, And they were way better. Better team won. Better team was more interested. Better team played harder. and Better team won. So in
0: the biggest upset of the weekend, I saw a stark lack of athleticism with Purdue. And I didn't watch a ton of Purdue this year, and they were able to bully ball people with Edie down low, Dan. But I'm watching that game and thinking, this is Zach Edie, a big monster down low with four stiffs surrounding him that can't do anything against FDU's quickness. Is this a culture problem? With Matt Painter in Purdue, or is this simply a lack of athletic talent problem for Matt Painter at Purdue?
1: Well, I think they got exposed. You know, Matt Painter won the Big Ten, won the Big Ten tournament, and people are on him. Like, they want him to be gone, and I'm like, okay, well, be careful what you wish for. But to your point, something happened in the last four minutes. I think you and I talked about this morning. I've never seen this before. You know, people always talk about, and this goes to the quickness of Fairleigh Dickinson and the lack of quickness from Purdue, Uh, Purdue's guards were freshmen and both really good. Braden Smith, Mr. Basketball here, Foster Lawyer or Fletcher Lawyer is a nice player. You know, they're both played really well all year against the Big Ten, but I've never seen this and I've been watching basketball. I've been involved in college basketball since the fall of 1981, watching it since 1973. I don't think I've ever seen this. Purdue's guards would go to the basket in the last four minutes of the game, the Fairleigh Dickinson guards. Now the guards, not the big guy, not a help side defender, blocked Purdue's guards four times. Now, what that is, is in basketball, that means I'm hot defensively. I got you, there's a, there, you know, and, and there's a cuss word that comes after it involving a mother and having sex. So I'm going to tell you, I got you, you know, it just is the way it goes. You know, I got you. There's nothing you're doing to me. You got by me, but here I am. I'm swat, it happened four times. In the last four or five minutes of the game, I swear to God, look, I get it. A big guy comes over and blocks a shot. We get all that. But that told me that, uh, well, no, Fairly Dickinson was in the grill of Purdue and there wasn't nothing Purdue was going to do about it. And also, I have a very good friend that I have a ton of respect for, a longtime NBA scout. He's one of the guys that I go to to talk basketball with when I want to get serious about it. And he was there, and he goes, look, Danny, goes, I got to tell you, The tension in that building from the get-go, he was sitting in the Purdue section, he goes, unbelievable. He goes, it's unbelievable. And he goes, the guys were so tight. Guys are shooting the ball offside of the backboard. Purdue went 14 of 42 from people other than Edie. You're absolutely right. They got exposed. Big Ten got exposed. There's your champ. And you can't beat Fairleigh Dickinson off the dribble. You can't go dominate them athletically. I blame the Purdue players. Look, you've had your brains beat out. You had to have an unbelievable effort. They didn't bring it. They were nervous. They were uptight. Moment too big. And when the moment's too big in March, guess what? You go home.
3: Dan Dockett is the host of OutKick's Don't At Me weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. Eastern here on the OutKick Network. Dan, how many teams of the 16 can win a national championship this year?
1: Man, man, I got to tell you, if every team's playing really well, Alabama wins the national championship. You know, I think, again, in my opinion, watching – and I know Brandon Miller didn't have a bunch of points, but, boy, is he good. I mean, he is so freaking yeah. good. Like, I don't know – you know, he, he he's the best I saw, and Alabama was the best team. I don't really think Izzo's team can win. I do think Houston can. Houston, their second half against uh, uh, Auburn – was incredible to me. Like, incredible. Auburn has a culture where they're going to play hard and they just got belly-womped. So I think they can win a national championship. I think UConn can win a national championship. I think Gonzaga can win a national championship. I, you know, look, um, I would have said Duke could have. But I don't know. Squat, those are the teams, and maybe I'm missing one somewhere I'm not big on Xavier winning it. Uh, but I, those are the teams that I think – can win a national championship. Creighton can score enough. I don't think they're defensively good enough uh, or high-end enough. But the teams that I mentioned, I, I, I think can win. I don't think Michigan State can. Probably can get to a Final Four, but I don't think they can win a national championship.
0: Dan, I saw something happen over the weekend. I immediately thought, I cannot wait to ask Dan Dockich about this on Monday because I know you'll have an opinion. I have no idea what that opinion will be, but I thought, this. I know Dan's going to have a strong opinion on this. What did you think about Eric Musselman going WWE and tearing his shirt off in celebration with the Arkansas crowd after beating Kansas. My wife had a very different reaction to this that I'll tell you about than I had to
1: it. But what did you think? I love it. I love all of it. Like, I know I come off as a dorky old white guy, but I like some stuff. Like, I like the kid trying to 360 dunk for FAU. Uh, at the end of the game, everybody was whining about it. Hell, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. Go for it. I love what Musselman did because I like different. I like people that are exuberant. Look, nothing f- great has ever been accomplished without enthusiasm. And the effort that everybody, including Musselman, his staff, key smarts on that staff, uh, and the players put into it is off the charts. And sometimes, you know what? You just lose your mind, man. You, My friend Seth Greenberg calls it an out-of-body experience, and he's not wrong. I got to tell you, man, I don't know if you guys agree or disagree, but I thought it was fantastic.
0: My wife hated it. I-, I loved it, too. I'm like you. I thought it was funny. I thought it was fun in the moment. She said, this is a leader of young men, and he's out here doing this, and he's to keep his shirt on and act like an adult. This is ridiculous, the way he's acting. Something else I think is ridiculous, Dan, is the notion that uh, Rick Barnes is suddenly a dirty coach. Uh, and Rick Barnes was asked Aww. about this today. Because a lot in the media are saying Tennessee played, quote, dirty against Duke. And Rick Barnes said, I think playing good, hard basketball is something nice to watch. I know our guys played hard. I know Duke played hard. From my perspective, I didn't see anything dirty from either team. What do you think about the notion of playing dirty in the NCAA tournament? And is that what you saw with Tennessee on Saturday?
1: Hey, man, play dirty, play clean, be sportsman, be unsportsman, just survive in advance. Look, you do you and I'll do me. That's what I used to tell coaches uh, in our coaches' meetings in the MAC. I'd be like, hey, look, you can run it up on me. You can do whatever, and don't complain to me. I don't care. You do you. Rick Barnes' team is not dirty. Uh, Rick Barnes' team plays hard. If you're too soft, don't show up. And Duke was way too soft. Look. And I get it. The national media has to complain about something. I don't know why you'd complain about that. It's a great story. You lose your point guard Ziegler. Next thing you know, you're playing against 87,000 you know, uh, first-round uh, draft choices, the greatest young coach in the history of basketball, Coach K's culture is still intact, and you whoop them, literally whoop them physically. I want to hear it. I think any media guy that asks that question in such a way that convicts Rick Barnes of doing something, nefarious, or his team being dirty, needs to be shunned. That's right. I said shunned. I don't like the shunned. My first wife used to shun me, and I hated it. When I put you on the shun, that's bad business for you. Anybody asking that question to Rick Barnes needs to be shunned with a giant S on their shirt because they're too stupid, they're too soft. Go work for Disney. Go work for ESPN. Uh, Be woke. Be stupid. But don't bring that crap around here because Tennessee plays basketball – defensively the way basketball is supposed to be played. They're tough, they're physical, they're relentless, and if you can't handle it, then guess what? You go home and they get to move on to the Sweet 16.
3: Don't at him or shun him. Dan Dockich with us on OutKick360. Rick Pitino to St. John's. Um, Chad hit this last week where there was a thirst, a thirst from Pitino and uh, that job, and he lands it. It's the worst-kept secret going. What do you think about Pitino there?
1: Man, I think it's about ready to get sexy, and I don't mean that figuratively, or I don't mean that literally with Patino, but it's about ready to get sexy. I think in it's St. literal, John's. too. I, remember when they... I think it can be literal Break with that also. Figuratively and literally. It's going to be 15 seconds worth of sexy baby <laughs> there, but no. Uh, when they hired Lavin, I said, man, how stupid are you? Like, how dumb are you? Michael like, Evans, like, doesn't do anything. He doesn't have a weight program. He doesn't have individual workouts. He basically shows and goes. Patino's the exact opposite. You know, Patino's the guy that's going to drive everybody. Six-year deal. He says he can coach till 80. He's in great shape. Uh, what a great move. I mean, think th- – this is not easy, and I lived it, and I learned it, and I didn't do it. But when you're in a mid-major league and all of a sudden you come in and the two years you're there, you go <laughs> – To the NCAA tournament, you got to win the conference tournament, which means a fluke didn't happen to you. I had two times flukes happened to me. and We didn't go to the tournament. I mean, I wasn't a good enough coach to handle the fluke. Patino puts his team in a position where a fluke isn't going to beat him. It is going to get on. It is on in St. John's. That is the best thing that St. John's could have possibly done. It's the worst thing for guys like Thad Mata over here at Butler. It's the worst thing for a guy like Ed Cooley going to Georgetown or whoever's going to replace him at Providence, it's the worst thing for the rest of the big East, but it's a great thing for St. John's and I can't wait to watch. I'm a big Rick Patino fan. Like I wasn't, uh, but I became one and you know what? Uh, we competed when I was an assistant at Indiana. I didn't like him. He was better than us. Uh, we weren't as good as them. Knight didn't work as hard, uh, in recruiting and we kept losing players But I've always respected him, and now I like him and respect him and think he's going to do an unbelievable job. Get ready, Big East.
3: What's Calipari thinking
1: privately? Woo, privately, he's thinking, thank God I signed that $9 million deal years ago, and if they fire my sorry ass, then they got to pay me for a long, long time. Seriously, that's what he's thinking privately. He also might be thinking one of two things. You know, you can look at the glass half full because that's what we do at Kentucky. We say, well, you know, uh, the recruiting class coming in is going to set us free. Yeah, all right, pull this, it plays jingle bells. Uh, or he's thinking, oh man, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do here. Because he's usually one step ahead of the posse. He's probably got his agent calling NBA teams. He's probably sniffing around different things very privately, very clandestinely. Because let's not make no mistake, you know, Cal Perry's in a situation where, frankly, you just got to win. He tried to BS the troops by talking about, what do they have, five first-round draft choices a few years ago, and this is the most best day in the history of Kentucky basketball. He tried to BS the troops, but I'll say this about Kentucky basketball fans. They know their hoops, and they know the difference between nonsense and real, and Kentucky's tried to pull a little wool over their eyes, but the play on the court does not lie, and I thought this guy, I swear to God. Uh, Both Seth Greenberg, who's a great friend of Cal, and myself, who's a friend of Cal, we were texting yesterday, going, "This is the worst team I've ever seen at Kentucky during Cal's time." I know they were bad a couple of years ago, but this team has no skill. I mean, they paid five hundred thousand dollars for this kid Reese to leave Illinois State and go to Kentucky, and that dude, I think he went over for a lifetime. You got to show up in big games when you're at Kentucky. You got to show. I always same thing I've said about Duke, Indiana, North Carolina. Hey, Amen. Don't show up if you're going to be afraid when the big boy lights come on. I mean, the Kleeg lights. I mean, the big ones in Kentucky did not show, but they didn't show because they're not very talented. They're not very good.
3: Dan's show starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, He always shows up for that. He's both talented and good. Dan Dockage. Well, we look forward to tomorrow morning's show. It's always great, especially during tournament time.
1: We got uh, Dusty May from FAU coming on. Izzo's coming on. I think Scott Drew's coming on tomorrow. It's a potpourri. Of coaching greats. So we'll look forward to it. 9 a.m. on uh, Don't At Me.
3: Mr. March Izzo on Don't At Me tomorrow morning. Yeah, he is. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you. Yeah, he is. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Yeah, man. Dan Dockett's there. Uh, Don't At Me with Dan Dockett's mornings, 9 a.m. Eastern, uh, here on the network. Chad, uh, another Cinderella story, and this time it's Princeton, and when Princeton won, social media was on fire. That's next on OutKick360.
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America
3: NA member FDIC. Chad, question for you How does an Ivy League school crush it? dominate on the boards against a Pac-12 and an SEC basketball program in a span of three days? Athletic intelligence, maybe. Sheer grit. I don't know how you do it. Hustle,
0: effort, knowing angles, good geometry guys. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities as to how this would happen, but
3: it was was amazing to watch. Missouri was so concerned, and I would be too, with the Princeton offense, which is not nearly what it was, but they're certainly there. They backed in that zone, and then Princeton hit 12 threes. Sharpshooting. But even on the boards, they're getting second-chance opportunities.
0: Well, and once Princeton won, I knew this would happen, but it led to some of the best jokes on the internet. The internet never disappoints when things like this happen, and immediately the (sighs) tweets started flying. Um, Front Office Sports, by the way, let us know that Princeton is the only team in the NCAA tournament – without any players on athletic scholarship. The Ivy League doesn't allow them, only provides need-based aid. Now, to this I say, okay, that's great. They're all on some sort of scholarship. They find ways to get guys in that are good basketball players on scholarship for the most part where they're not paying if they want them. Um, some really funny tweets though that came through.
3: Yeah, Matt Damon. Uh, another one was with uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. on how to figure out figuring out how to upset Arizona in, in round 1 for Princeton. I love this. Beating up on the SEC was another one.
0: Normally, if someone from Princeton is beating up on the SEC, this is from Roger Sherman, normally if someone from Princeton is beating up on the SEC this badly, it's a Republican senator dismantling the Securities and Exchange Commission of the uh, SEC. Also a terrific joke. Maybe one of my favorite ones was <laughs> the LinkedIn profile that someone dug up of Ryan Langborg, who just destroyed Missouri from three in this game. And when you look up his LinkedIn profile, the the tweet says, this man just led Princeton to the Sweet 16. His experience is as an acquisition analyst intern for JPI companies in San Diego, California. And a picture that is straight up out of LinkedIn because that's where it is. But it also may be his Princeton player profile. <laughs> it looks like he's in the orange tie. So this is probably also their roster photo that he is using. Terrific. This is the second time that... I believe ever, the Ivy League's had. Cornell had it in 2016. They reached the Sweet 16. That an Ivy League played Kentucky in that Sweet 16. I remember Kentucky won, but that an Ivy League school's advanced the Sweet 16. Lots of fun. And they were dominating in that game start to finish.
3: I know. They just wrecked Missouri. They, yeah, they, they eased. They coasted uh, to the victory. Davey Hudson uh, here in studio also tweeted this this weekend. Princeton has more NCAA tournament wins in the last four days than Kentucky does in the last four years. Uh, correct. And that's why there's heat that in is, the Commonwealth.
0: That's an amazing stat.
3: This is right up there from Davey
0: with the stat about Tony Bennett, where he won all of his NCAA tournament games in one year, and then hasn't won around that well, when so they
3: won the national title. There's a big discussion, of course, with Matt Painter and what's going on at Purdue with the way they've lost recently and the stretch of, of losses in the NCAA tournament, uh, losing to a 13, a 15 and now a 16 seed and you bring up Tony Bennett and I think as far as like clean coaches go, Matt Painter and Tony Bennett are certainly in that category, right? Like that coach Cal would not be placed in that category. No, these two guys are. And I, I think it's, uh, I, I'm fascinated now to watch what they'll do to tweak these programs because the big 10 plays through the paint, but whenever you get to the tournament, it's through the guard play. And that's what we saw here where they didn't, Chad, you're right, the the athleticism for Purdue, not there. We've seen now, uh, and and Purdue, what, last year also lost to St. Peter's, just to tie in uh, the Kentucky aspect to this. Got some good programs during the season that are losing to teams they should not be losing to after all the things that they've accomplished over the last four or five months. Purdue's at the top of that list, of course, with Fairleigh Dickinson, who couldn't even play in the tournament If Merrimack were eligible, because Merrimack beat them last weekend, Uh, whenever they're tipping off, the previous weekend, they were losing to Merrimack, and instead, Merrimack is out because they did not qualify. They've got to be in a transition. It's a four-year transition. It's a stupid rule. It's dumb.
0: I mean, if you're moving up, you should be eligible immediately. You're at a disadvantage. You should be when you move there's up. There's got to be don't, some I don't academic that. thing, or I don't know. Well, it's, it's uh, there's uh, what the NCAA is saying. You have to prove your NCAA Division more One eligibility by yeah. showing you can meet all the parameters of it before you're eligible for comp. But I'm thinking that's whatever difference between the Northeast Conference and a lot of other ones. What we're talking this is not the SEC. This is the NEC. Mm-hmm. Fairly Dickinson Friday night becomes the second 16 seed to ever beat a number one seed. And today, I'm looking at a statement from the Northeast Conference that is a statement from St. Francis College, who has eliminated its intercollegiate athletics program altogether. No one in the SEC is eliminating their (sighs) athletics program on the day after one of their conference tournament, one of their conference mates beats the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. That's the difference between a conference like the Northeast Conference and the Southeastern Conference when you look at the two. Here's what I think Purdue should do. Absolutely nothing. Matt Painter is who he is. This is who they are. They have a program. They have a culture. It was good enough to win the Big Ten. It was good enough to be a number one seed. If I had to nitpick at one thing, he needs better athletes, better quickness. But with him and Tony Bennett, I think it's a great comparison, Hutton. Very similar in that they have a clear identity in how they play Mm -hmm. and what they want in their program. They're wildly successful and they're getting beaten by double-digit seeds in the NCAA tournament. But with those guys, with the success they've had, I don't know that you change anything. Well,
3: Bennett's at least got the title to point to.
0: I think you're better off, though. Uh, you know, Purdue's got the one Elite Eight that they've been to under Matt Painter. I, I think you're better off with both of them staying the course and seeing if one year it hits. Well, at some point, you that's what think, happened with Luton. You're going to keep going to the tournament and getting a high seed and getting a high seed. And for
3: Matt Painter, he's going to have that... Tony Bennett breakthrough season. And, and uh, Lute Olsen at one point lost to a 12, a 14, and a 15 seed. And those, those years, he had Damon Stoudemire, Sean Rooks, uh, Miles Simon was a young guy on one of those rosters that year. And a couple of years later, they won the title. So, I mean, Matt Painter's certainly title-worthy, but the trend that they're on, when it comes March, they're not marching past the first weekend or the first day. Coming up, Patino. He's found a new home. We'll discuss what he's going to be doing, expectation wise, at St. John's. This is Outdoor 360.